If you'd like to spend some time with real people with a real heart for God, we welcome you to visit us at Harvest Church in Alexandria, Virginia. Our Sunday morning services are held at 1030, and our Family Night Fellowship takes place on Wednesday at 7 p.m. Come experience God's awesome, life-changing power as we worship in His presence, fellowship with one another, commit to discipleship, and share God's love through evangelism. For more information or directions, visit HarvestNova.com. That's HarvestNova.com. I want to share with you, as I said, from 2 Kings uh, chapter 5. We'll begin reading with verse uh, number 1. Uh, now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Lord, speak to us through your holy word today. Let it be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Amen and amen. The title of my message today is When You Can't Take It Anymore. When you can't take it anymore. I won't ask for a show of hands, but I wonder how many of us have uttered that phrase at times. I just can't take it anymore. And then what do we do? We turn around and take it some more. (laughs) But I think that feeling is a universal feeling. Sometimes we feel like we just can't take it anymore. Now, our passage of scripture for today is talking about a man named Naaman. He was the captain of the army of Aram. He was the second in command to the king. Naaman was a victorious general, a national hero. His name comes from a Hebrew term meaning delightful, pleasant, beautiful. But his life, at the point we find it in today's text, was anything but delightful, pleasant, or beautiful. As verse 1 says, he had leprosy. Leprosy uh, was a disease that was prevalent in biblical times. It was often used in scripture as a metaphor for sin. Uh, The word leprosy is from a word meaning to peel off in scales. Uh, And and I want to give you a little description of leprosy, and I apologize if it makes you a little squeamish, but um, I want to share this with you. Leprosy would result in a deterioration of the tissues between the bones. The pain of leprosy was not uh, acute or constant because it killed the nerves in the affected area, but it kept the victim miserable and frustrated. The victim's tendons would contract, causing the hands to appear as claws. Ulcerated fingers and toes would waste away until the whole hand or foot was gone. Leprosy is an incurable disease and lasts until the victim Uh, dies often by the invasion of other diseases due to his weakened immune system. But before death, a person could live in misery for 20 to 30 years with this condition. Uh, Leper was considered unclean and mostly isolated from the rest of society. Basically, a leper was a dead man walking. And this was the condition that this esteemed general found himself in. Today, I want to use Naaman's situation to illustrate the life of anyone who lives a life of misery. Whether it's misery brought on by a life of sin, by physical suffering, or by unrelenting emotional stress and anxiety. 
His story reveals important principles we need to understand when we're living in misery and want to be delivered. So for the next few minutes, I want to answer the question, what do you need to understand? What do you need to remember when you just can't take it anymore? I want to share five principles, five things we need to remember. The first one is this. God often uses an unlikely messenger to point the way out of your misery. Look at verse number two. It says, Now bands from Aram had gone out and taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who was in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. At this time, there was currently a peace treaty between Israel and Aram, but minor border skirmishes continued. In one of these skirmishes, this young girl, we're not told her name, but this young girl was taken captive to serve Naaman's wife. She selflessly mentioned to her that there was a prophet in Samaria, a region of Israel, who could cure Naaman of his leprosy. She was referring, of course, to the prophet Elisha. This seemingly insignificant young girl was an unlikely messenger from God used to point the way out of Naaman's misery. Now, she could have selfishly said, hey, I'm, I'm here against my will. I'm a prisoner. Why should I help those who took me captive? But she didn't do that. She selflessly pointed the way to his deliverance through the prophet Elisha. In scripture, uh, God often used the most unlikely of messengers to deliver his message. In Numbers chapter 22, a donkey uh, was warned uh, Balaam about the path he was on. Remember that? The, uh, the tale of the talking donkey. In Second uh, Chronicles 35, uh, a pagan king, King Nico of Egypt, uh, warned Judas King Josiah not to engage his army in battle, which Josiah ignored at the cost of his life. In Matthew 5, uh, a demon-possessed man set free by Jesus returned to his family to share his story. And in John chapter 4, uh, the woman at the well who had led an immoral life uh, was used as a messenger to bring her whole village to Jesus. Unlikely messengers. You know, uh, some of us think, boy, I, I, you know, when I need to know what to do, it'd be great, you know, if just a hand would write on the wall, you know, or if something would pop up on my computer screen, say, this is a message from the Lord, you need to do this. How many know it doesn't usually happen like that? Now, if it does, let me know. I just want to know. <laughs> but it usually doesn't happen like that. God uses the unlikeliest of messengers. I love this quote. The outward person of the messenger does not validate his message. Rather, the nature of the message validates the messenger. God is continually sending messages to you and to me. And he will do so using the most unlikely of messengers. The real question is, are we tuned in? Are we willing to hear the message? 
You know, sometimes our pride gets in the way. And God will speak, and I've done it. You know, maybe you have too. And God will speak a word, or maybe it comes in the form of a suggestion or something from someone, and you really, you know, you're not inclined to really value that person's opinions. And, and, and I understand that, but maybe, just maybe, what they're uh, giving to you is not their opinion, but a message from the Lord. Have you ever considered that? Now, I, you know, I, I, I'm not one to say there's a message in everything we see. You know, the, the alignment of the clouds and the direction the trees are blowing, you know. And, and, and you know, some people are looking for messages, you know, in the, the, the swirl of the uh, upholstery on the pew today. I think I see a message there, you know. I, I'm not advocating that. I think you can get carried away with that. How many know that's true? But nevertheless, we need to be attuned to the fact that God may use messengers that we don't particularly uh, anticipate would have a message for us, or maybe someone we don't even care for. Let's, can we just say that? We're in church, aren't we? We've got to be honest. I really don't want to hear from that person. God might use that very person to give you a message. You say, Pastor Tim, well, how, how do I deal with it? I, I think we need to have an honest and open heart before God and say, God, if, if there's a message you have for me, Lord, help me. I think this needs to be a regular prayer. Lord, help me to receive the messages you have for me. Help, help me, Lord, to be open. Help me, help me to have a sensitive spirit that when I hear something that I can distinguish between, you know, oh, someone's just vague opinion and versus God using a human vessel to get a message through to me. Don't despise the source of a message that God wants to get through to you. Don't look your nose down at someone uh, whose opinion you may not value, but may be speaking the word of the Lord to you and to point you out of the misery you're experiencing. So God often uses an unlikely messenger to point the way out of your misery. Pray that prayer. Be attuned to what God would say to you. What's the second thing we need uh, to remember when we can't take it anymore? It's this. It's that human resources are limited in their ability to relieve your misery. Human resources are limited. Verse 4 says, Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, the, uh, the king of Aram replied, Go, uh, I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. The le letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send me someone to be cured of his leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. Ben-Hadad, the king of Aram, assumed that the prophet described by the Israelite slave girl was subject to uh, Joram, the Israelite king, and that his services could be bought with a large gift. Uh, Naaman brought with him uh, the equivalent of about 750 pounds of silver, about 150 pounds of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. Which, 10 sets of clothing, and, and I know... For some of you, that's, uh, you know, just a fraction of what's in your overflowing closet. I get that. But ten sets of clothing was a lot for someone in that day, okay? Uh, so it, 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 he's bringing all of these material goods 
because he wants to be delivered from his suffering. And uh, King Joram of Israel uh, got this letter from the king of Aram and he reacted and he saw it, uh, it seems, as a pretext for war. He says, what, what is he sending this fellow to me to be cured of his leprosy? I can't do anything for him. And, and so uh, Naaman, I want you to get the picture, Naaman goes to Israel and he has this letter from his king, uh, his, his boss, if you will, the king of Aram. He brings all of this gold and silver and this clothing and, and he, he's just kind of marshalling all his resources. Okay? The letter, the money, the clothing, everything. He says, you know, I, I want to, uh, he wanted to hedge his bet a little bit, you know. You ever do that when you pray? Uh, God, I pray for an answer to prayer, but in the meantime, boy, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get every, all my resources together and, 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 you know, just have my ducks in a row. And so that's what he was doing. And uh, the king of Israel says, what's going on? He says, I, I have no... Uh, I have no ability to help you. Why, are you, why, why are you coming to me? Why is this letter? Why are you bringing all these things? And what Naaman would find out is that uh, all the resources he had, he could have brought 10 times, 100 times, 1,000 times what he brought. It still wouldn't have been enough to heal his leprosy. It still wouldn't have been enough to take away his misery. Now I said human resources are limited because there are things that human resources can do. You know, there, there are... Uh, God has allowed, uh, you know, medical research to take place. And there are wonderful medicines you can take. And, and doctors have a certain amount of skill. I thank God for them. I'm not anti-doctor. I'm not anti-medicine. Not in the, in, in the least. And, and, you know, there, there are problems. You know, if I have a problem with my car, I go to a mechanic. Because they're the ones who can, who can fix it, you know. And drain every dollar I have out of my bank account. But, but they can fix it. You know, so limited, so human resources can do a certain amount of things. But there are things that human resources can't accomplish. There are things in our lives that human resources are too limited uh, to, to help relieve. I want you to imagine if I had two checkbooks. I had access to and use of two checkbooks. One would be my checkbook, okay? And the other one would be Bill Gates' checkbook. I see some of you have had this dream, okay? And I wanted to go, you know, now, now I, ha I do have some money in my checking account, okay? I'm sure you're relieved to know that, you know? You can tell I don't miss any meals, uh, you know, I, I'm able to make my car payment and pay my bills and I can, I can, you know, and, and this church pays my salary and I'm, I'm blessed and I can do a certain amount of things with that. But imagine I wanted to go buy a Rolls Royce. Which checkbook do you think I would use, mine or Bill Gates? You know, you're sharp, I tell you. you. You really guessed it. I would use his what? Because I don't have those kind of reasons. I don't have that much money in my checking account, you know? Not even close. I would use his because I think he can afford it. I think he can afford 10 Rolls Royces or 1,000, you know? I can't. And so 
Uh, the same thing is true when we have issues in our lives. We try and use our paltry human resources. We try and buy our way out of it. We try and, uh, you know, use our human reasoning. And we try and use all the resources. And like I said, they're good for certain things. But there are things in our lives that human resources are inadequate to address. They're inadequate to take care of. Have you ever experienced some of those things in life? Whether it's an illness... Or, 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 or some other relationship problem, a spouse that leaves, a death. Uh, you know, human resources are inadequate to take care of spiritual needs. So if you're in misery today, you've tried everything, you've talked to everyone, you've, you've expended every resource. Uh, you know, the Bible talks, remember the woman with the issue of blood? She came to Jesus as a last resort. Too bad she didn't come to him first because it says she spent every dollar she had on trying to find a cure. There are certain things that human resources are inadequate to address and to take care of. We need to realize that. Sometimes we need to come to the end of our rope uh, to realize uh, that God is our source, that God is the answer, that his resources are unlimited. Amen? You feel like you're at the end of your rope. You feel like you're at the end of, the re of your resources. That's a very good place to be. Why? Because then you realize that you need to turn to, to the one who has the big checkbook, to the one who has the unlimited resources. Almighty God. Hallelujah. Amen. Human resources are limited. What's the third principle we need to understand or need to remember? This is very important. If you remember nothing else, remember this today. It's this. God's cure is better than your condition. God's cure is better than your condition. We'll say, Pastor Tim, duh, of course. Well, let's not say duh so quickly. Look at verse 8. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of, his Lord, of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Parfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than any waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Naaman was ticked off. He was angry. First he went to the king of Israel, then he had to go to Elisha's house. First of all, he was ticked off that Elisha sent a servant out to him. His attitude was like, hey, I'm, I'm Naaman. I'm, I'm the general, I'm the second in, 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 in the land, in the land of Aram. And, and I come to you, and you don't, you don't even come out yourself, to, you send a servant out to me. And then what got him really ticked was a servant said, if you want to be cleansed, he brought him a message from the prophet Elisha. He said, if you want to be cleansed, go and dip yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Now, the Jordan River was not known for its cleanliness. Okay? It, it, you couldn't see through to the bottom. Let's put it that way. Okay? And he says, don't we, 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 have, we have much nicer rivers at home in Aram. Why couldn't I go in? The, he, he said, I thought he would just come out and 
pray to God and wave his hand and boom, leprosy would be gone. You see, Naaman had his own a plan, his own expectation of how God would end his misery. And we're often like that, aren't we? Oh God, if you would just zap me, if you would just take it away in an instant. God, if you would just do this, and what, what happens? We, we, we may not intend you, but we're dictating to God. God, just take care of it like this way. And we de develop all these expectations. And you know what? Last time I checked, God is still sovereign, and God doesn't have to do things the way we want him to. How many have found that to be the truth? Amen. So God tells us sometimes there's something you need to do. There's an act, and I'm going to talk more about obedience in a little bit, but there's something you need to do. And the, the shocking reality is that we say many times, I'm not going to do it. And, and you see, we can be in misery, and, and we can look at it in a certain way and realize, hey, this is not a good situation. But you know what we do as human beings? You know this is true. We develop what are called coping mechanisms. And we develop ways, whether it's a physical disability or, or an emotional uh, hang-up or anxiety or, 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 or attitudes or feelings, whatever it is, we develop coping mechanisms, don't we? We develop, we, we use things to numb the pain. We use things to uh, 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 just, just cope and deal with it. And as miserable as our situation might be, this may sound counterintuitive, but if you, I think if you think about it, you'll, you'll, you'll agree with me that it's true. As miserable, in a sense, we might be, it's familiar to us. And we have these coping mechanisms, and, 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 and we, we say, hey, I, I can get by. That's why I, I, I titled this point in my message, God's cure is better than your condition. Naaman was going to leave in a huff. He was going to go back home with, uh, covered in leprosy because he didn't want to do what God told him to do to be healed. That sounds preposterous. That's, who, who would do that? You and I would. Because sometimes we think, hey, the steps that God might want me to take to receive my cure are not worth it. Yes, I'm in misery in a sense, but it's a comfortable misery. It's a familiar misery. And I'll deal with it. I'll cope with it like I've always been doing because I'm not going uh, to do that. And, and you think this is far-fetched. I think if you think about it, you realize it's not far-fetched at all. Remember the story of the man healed at the temple gate called Beautiful when um, uh, Peter and John were going into the temple and the man was there. He, he was there every day at this particular gate. He was begging for donations. He was lame. He couldn't walk. And he asked for a donation. And Remember what Peter's great word to him was? Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Rise and walk. It says he took him by the hand and took him up. And the man not only went walking, but he went walking and leaping and praising God. Remember that? What if when Peter went to grab his hand, the man pulled back? What are you doing? Don't, don't, I asked you for a donation. What are you doing? Don't touch me. No, don't. Peter and John said, okay, and they went in the temple, and his day went on, and, and when that man's day was concluded, he, he, he looked through his, his cup, and he said, you know, I had a pretty good day today. I got a lot of donations. 
Can you imagine? He, he, he would have he refused a new and exciting life with being healed to say, hey, I, I got more donations than usual. usual. It was a good day. That would be a tragedy, wouldn't it? Now, when God brings an end to our misery, uh, the, other, the other part of this is, you know, it may require some things of us. You know, he wouldn't, be, he wouldn't be lame anymore. He'd have to get a job, right? He'd have to work. I'm not, I'm not in, God heals me and delivers me. I'm not in my little cocoon, you know. It, it's, I, don't, I don't have excuses. And I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not belittling, uh, you know, the, the, the pain, the emotional difficulty we have in functioning when we're going through misery. But, but you know, some people, you know, more is going to be expected of me now that I'm, oh, you know, I don't, I don't know if I want that. I think I'll stay in the familiar. Can you imagine if that lame man did that? And ended up saying, I had a good day because I got more donations. It's preposterous. Yet that's what many people do. Like Naaman, they're ready to go off in a rage and say, hey, God, you know, I, I, I told you how I want you to deliver me. Wave your hand and say a few words and, you know, hocus pocus and there I am. You know, almost like it, almost like it is magic. Let me tell you, whatever God requires of you and me, Whatever steps he tells us to take, whoever he tells us to talk to, whatever changes he tells us to make. Sometimes it, it, it's as much as going to someone asking them for forgiveness, making things right with someone. That can be a key to deliverance from your mis misery. It can be almost anything. God tells you to do it. You need to do it. Like, like Mary, the mother of Jesus, said to the people at the wedding in John 2, speaking of Jesus, whatever he says to you, do it. Do it. God's cure is always, no matter what he requires of you, it's always better than your condition. Amen? Amen. Amen. Number four, what we need to remember when we can't take it any longer is that God's offer of deliverance is an open invitation. God's offer of deliverance is an open invitation. Uh, verse 13 says, Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? What, what, thank God for his service. He, he, he should have given each of them a raise and a bonus right after this, you know? Because they reasoned with him. They, they said, this, is, this shouldn't be that big a deal. You're talking about your health. You're talking about your life. You're talking about being freed from your misery. You can do this. And, 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 and what, the, the, the bottom line is, even though Naaman's initial reaction was to reject the word of the Lord and to go away in a rage and say, I'll, uh, I'll hang on to my uh, condition rather than accept your cure, he had another chance. Aren't you thankful? I know it's a cliche, but aren't you thankful God is the God of second chances? You know, we, we in our human arrogance and we say no and I'm going to go my own way and I'm going to do my own thing and we blow it big time. God always, there's always a second chance. We can always turn around. 
The invitation is there. And you may be here today. You may be watching online. You may say, you know, Pastor Tim, I think I've missed God so many times in my life. I haven't been willing to go the path he wanted me to go, to do what he wanted me to do. And I've gone my own way and I've suffered for it. And I'm just in this hole. I'm just in this misery. And I don't know how to get out of it. I think I've missed my opportunity. I think I've missed my chance. I'm here to tell you, you may have missed your first opportunity. You may have missed your first chance. But there's a second one available to you if you'll avail yourself of it because God's offer is always an open invitation I love throughout the scriptures we see invitations in Isaiah 1 18 and 19 God invited sinners he said come now let us reason together Come now, let us reason together. In Isaiah 55, 1 through 3, God invited the destitute. He said, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy and eat. In Matthew 11, 28 through 30, Jesus invites the weary and heavy laden. He says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What an invitation. The Holy Spirit invites the thirsty in Revelation, Revelation 22, 17. And the Spirit and the bride say, come, and let him who hears say, come, and let him who thirsts come. God is a God of invitations. God is a God with an open door. And just like the father of the prodigal son who had left him and who had turned his back on his father and had wasted his inheritance and, 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 and expended it all in debauchery, when he finally repented and came home, who was there waiting to greet him with open arms? It was his father whom he had abandoned, who he had forsaken, who he had betrayed. It was his father who was there with open arms. He said, come on in, son. I've been waiting for you. And God says to you and me today, come on in. There's an open invitation. Yes, maybe you blew it. Yes, maybe you rejected uh, my, my offer to bring you out of your misery. But the door's still open. You still have another chance. There's an open invitation. If you would accept uh, my word, if you would follow after my word and do what I've told you to do, I'll free you from your misery. God always has an open invitation to you and me. Aren't you thankful for that? If you're here or watching online, you've blown it and you've, you've blown it six ways from Sunday and you say, I don't know if there's any hope for me. I'm here to tell you there's hope for you because there's always an invitation from the, the hand of God. God's door is always open to you. What's the fifth thing we need to remember when we can't take it anymore? It's this. That deliverance from misery only comes through humility and obedience. Through humility and obedience. Verse 14 says, So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. God kept his word. Go figure. This, 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 this thing, this, this hearing from God and believing him, we sang about it. It makes a great song, doesn't it? How many know it's more than a song? How many know it's more than a sentiment? It's more than a feeling. There's this, it's this truth. Come on. If not, we're wasting our time. We can take God at his word. When we humble ourselves, when we obey the word of the Lord, God will be true to his word. It's not just that he doesn't lie, it's that he can't lie. It is an, some people say, well, you know, 
there aren't any impossibilities. It's impossible for God to lie. It is totally at odds with his nature, with who he is. God keeps his word. And when we humble ourselves, when we obey him, when we take him at his word, God will come through every time. Now, he may not always come through the way we want him to. He may not, as I said before, uh, you know, fulfill our every expectation. But God always, as our Father, does what's best for us. Amen? And we can trust in him. The great Hall of Fame quarterback, Roger Staubach, who led the Dallas Cowboys to a Super Bowl championship in 1971, admitted that his position as a quarterback who didn't call his own plays was a source of irritation for him. His head coach, of course, was the great Tom Landry. And both of these men, Roger Staubach, Tom Landry, both very strong Christians, uh, but Coach Landry would send in every single play. Some of you, you football fans who are old like me, you know this. Uh, old or, or Dallas Cowboy freaks, you know, you know all this. But uh, I said that in a good way. Um, Coach Landry would send in all the plays, and he, he, only in an emergency could, could Roger Staubach, you know, change the play. And, you know, most quarterbacks in the league by that time were calling the plays. Roger Staubach couldn't. He said it was a real source of irritation for me. He, he, even though he considered Coach Landry to be a genius at calling plays, uh, he, he said the pride within him said I should be able to call my own plays. But later on he said this. He said, I faced up to the issue of obedience. Once I learned to obey, there was harmony, fulfillment, and victory. Because I humbled myself. And I obeyed. Church, we have a head coach who's undefeated. Hallelujah. And I don't know, sometimes we want to call our own plays, don't we? So, well, I, I just think, what's that? Yeah, but I just think this path is... No, 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 no. Head coach has never been wrong. He's never called a bad play yet. Amen? Hallelujah when we humble ourselves, when we obey what the word of the Lord is to us. I don't know what God might have you to do. I don't know what God, might, what, what might be the key to your deliverance. And listen, I'm not, I'm not trivializing those who are suffering today or if you're in misery. I, I'm not trying to oversimplify it. I know a lot of times it's a battle and we need to pray through and we need to endure. I know the victory doesn't come in an instant. I understand that. I'm not, I'm not preaching a, a formulaic uh, deliverance, it's just, you know, do this and that and boom. You're, yeah, I understand that. But I, I do think these principles have value. I do think there is a value in humility and obedience. What did the psalmist say? Search me, O God, and know my heart. See if there be some wicked way in me. See if there's something in my life you're not pleased with. It could be an attitude. It, it, it could be a thought pattern. It could be the way we, we, we treat someone else, whatever it is. Lord, help me to be humble and obedient to you. In conclusion this morning, when you can't take it anymore, you need to remember that God often uses an unlikely messenger to point the way out of your misery. Someone totally unexpected, someone or something even. You know, we said God used a donkey one time, so there are no limits to who or what he can use. 
there might be an unlikely messenger that has a word from the Lord for you. Secondly, we said that human resources are limited in their ability to relieve your misery. They can help with some things. But every one of us will face a situation where our human resources are in, insufficient. Only the power of God can intervene. Thirdly, we said that God's cure is better than your condition. Whatever he asks of us, whatever he commands us to do, he's doing that for our benefit, to bring about something good in our lives. And I understand we develop coping mechanisms and uh, we, we become comfortable, even in our misery, we become comfortable with the familiar, but God has something new and exciting and fresh. God has a deliverance. God has a, 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 a brand new way of life uh, available to you and me if we'll only uh, take heed to his word. Fourthly, we said that God's offer of deliverance is an open invitation. You may have blown it. You may have gone your own way. You may have done your own thing. The offer still stands. Hear the word of the Lord. And then finally, we said deliverance from misery only comes through humility and obedience. What might God speak into your life? Say, Pastor Tim, I'm, I'm not really hearing anything. Well, if you're, if you're in enough misery, then I encourage you just, man, get along with God. I encourage you to, to, to get in a place where you can, you know, sometimes we just, we, we just need to filter out a lot of things. How many know that? Filter out a lot of voices. Filter out a lot of distractions. And get alone with God. And hear from God. Let me tell you, if, if you and I are in a place where we are desperate for God, you've seen example after example in the scriptures, we're desperate for God, and we get alone with him, and we seek his face. He will meet with us. He will speak to us. He will come to us in power, and he will bring deliverance.